And now, from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting across the multiverse, from the heights of Hlidskjalf to the depths of Niflheim, from the MCU to the DCU, from the slopes of Mount Olympus and beyond, you are tuned to the immortal sounds of Radio Free Asgard. And hello, everybody, and welcome to Radio Free Asgard. This is episode number 298. We're coming at you, as always, from beautiful Chicago, Illinois. My name is Tom Harris. Welcome along to the show, the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin. And we're also a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. A very Merry Christmas to everybody out there. Yes, because I'm recording this on Christmas Day. Why am I recording this on Christmas Day? Because it's Monday, and I record my show on Monday. Generally speaking, that's how it works around here. But anyway, uh, to everybody who celebrates a solstice time sort of holiday, whether it be Christmas or Hanukkah or uh, Kwanzaa, etc., I know there's a bunch of them, Saturnalia, enjoy your holiday, enjoy your Yule, enjoy the gifts, enjoy the family, because that's really kind of what it's all about. So really to everybody, I hope you have a very happy holiday. And because I'm recording this, you know, it's going to air between Christmas and the new year. Everybody have a very safe and happy new year celebration as well. Okay, so that kind of out of the way, we're here this week to talk about Thor Ragnarok. The movie's been out for over a month now, so if you haven't seen it yet and you care about spoilers, then you might want to turn this off, go rush out and see it at the matinee because that's probably the only place you're going to find it in the theaters now, and watch the movie before you listen to the show. There will be many spoilers, not only for this movie, but also for Justice League, and we may be talking a little bit about some other movies as well, though... I guess for the other ones, you really don't have to worry about spoilers. Um, Anyway, so if you care about spoilers, this is just your last warning because there will be spoilers aplenty as we talk about Thor Ragnarok. So I've already given you kind of my my elevator review of Thor Ragnarok already, and I'm going to give you more of that review and go a little bit more into depth. But we're going to be talking quite a lot, and I am expecting this show to be a bit on the long side, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see if maybe I can organize my thoughts in such a way that I don't need to go on uh, for, for half an hour uh, just talking about what I liked about the movie uh, as compared to what I didn't like about the movie. And believe me, there's a lot of both in Thor Ragnarok. So let's give you my, once again, my, my kind of elevator review of it. And that is that Thor Ragnarok was a hell of a lot of fun. It was a big, explodey popcorn movie. Turn your brain off. Enjoy the explosions and the action. There's a lot of humor and, and not a lot of heart. But, you know, the humor works for the most part. We've got some great interactions between the characters. We've got um, a lot of, of wonkiness as the result of how the movie was put together, which we'll get into a bit later. But to be very concise, I like Thor Ragnarok. I like it better than Thor The Dark World, which we're going to also be be mentioning a little bit later too. But I think that the reason why the movie works for me is because of the humor, because of the, uh, the, let's face it, fan service 
that they have going out. And you know, there's a lot of it, a lot of little Easter eggs hidden there, here and there. I'm sure the fans are going to, when the, the home video comes out, well, they're probably doing it already for, for Torrance, and just picking apart the, the, all the little Easter eggs that are in the movie because there's a ton of them. And you know, I noticed a ton of them on first viewing. I can only imagine how many we're going to find as, as we you know, repeatedly watch the film. So on that level, you know, it's it's one of the most fun Marvel films that we've had. It puts it into contrast with some of what DC is putting out, and, and especially uh, before Justice League, you know, Batman v Superman being the, uh, the the most concrete example of the sort of DC being grim and gritty. We have to do this because the Marvel movies are fun, and so we're going to make ours dark. And, you know, and this is kind of the exact opposite of it. And because of the fun and because, you know, there were several laugh out loud moments for me, I'm a hard audience to make laugh out loud in the movie theater. I usually will snicker or, or you know, just kind of chuckle to myself. But I actually did laugh out loud several times during Thor Ragnarok just because there's incredible amount of absurdity in the movie. And the absurdity is, is genuinely funny. Now, part of that I credit to the director, Taika Waititi, and, because that's the kind of humor that he's put in some of his other movies. Now, I'm not, I'm not familiar really with a lot of his output. I know that but Pete, my other half, has seen a, a lot of these and is a, a big fan of this director. And he liked Thor Ragnarok better than any of the other Thors. Now, unfortunately, what we come down to when we kind of cast aside the, all the fun and the, the uh, improvised dialogue and you know, the character interactions, which, which let's face it, are, are really, really nice. I mean, you know, the character interaction is one of the strongest things about the film. But when you start scratching and kind of digging a little bit below the surface, unfortunately, what you find is that Thor Ragnarok is really not all that good a film. As a popcorn movie, it does exactly what it needs to do. It holds up on repeated viewing. It makes you care about the characters for the most part. But when the, it's one of those movies that the more you think about it, the less sense it makes and the weaker the plot is. I'm thinking a lot about how that I can convey my message about Thor Ragnarok without pissing a lot of fans off. I don't know if that's actually possible. Now, um, I want to thank Gene Hendricks very much for posting a link to his blog, The Hammer Strikes. Uh, if you go back to our Facebook page, look for Radio Free Asgard on Facebook, and you'll find our group. And you follow the link to Gene's blog post. Gene said a lot about the film, and I, I agree with it 190%. Uh, I, I probably am more strongly feeling about what his criticisms were than, than other people were. But um, you know, do yourself a favor, go read that. Other people have come to me and given reviews in person. I've had um, uh, several people send me messages. I will be incorporating those thoughts into my discussion, so never, never mind. I'm probably not going to read things out verbatim, but, but I just uh, you know, may mention some names as we go, people who have talked to about the film. Um, didn't get a lot of feedback, but we, hey, we got more than we did for Thor the Dark World, so that makes me happy. <laughs> anyway, so, so I guess where my thought, I'm of two minds about, about Thor Ragnarok. As much fun as it is, 
there is a, a, a current of dissatisfaction that I have with the movie on a very basic level. And a lot of it has to do with Hollywood and the way that Hollywood puts movies together. And I think there is a warning here, not only for Marvel and not only for DC necessarily, but for anybody who's putting together a movie based on a popular property. I definitely think that there's some warning signs here that uh, we can't afford to ignore if we're Warner Brothers or if we're Marvel Studios because I can see how if this trend is left unchecked, it may lead to a decline in the quality of comic book movies. It may lead to a decline in the popularity of comic movies in general. I, I have to say, I've been enjoying the hell out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I've been enjoying even the DC movies, with the exception of Batman v Superman, um, and I guess Man of Steel. And so, okay, well, maybe I'm not enjoying the <laughs> DC ones that much. <laughs> that Wonder Woman was good, though. <laughs> uh, no, but I think that there's a definite warning here uh, for the studios, and, and of course, we're going to be getting into that as well. So, I guess what I find fault with in Thor Ragnarok is that the movie is rather schizophrenic and it has an identity crisis. There's as much as the, the, the planet Hulk sequences work, we have the entire other half of this movie that doesn't work. And that is anything that has anything to do with Asgard. Now Asgard is basically a character in the Thor mythos. And you can do a lot with Asgard, and you can stretch Asgard, and you can twist it, and you can, it's like silly putty, and you can, you can make Asgard pretty much whatever you want. And that's what the comics creators have been doing ever since the introduction of Thor and Journey into Mystery number 83. It's been, you know, one of those things that it's hard to portray right, quote unquote, right, because there is no right way to portray Asgard. There's only different views, and most of those views work for me. There's sort of a mid-70s Asgard kind of thing from the 70s and 80s that I didn't really care for. Simonson kind of took care of that when when he took over and made me love Asgard again. But the Asgard sequences in Thor Ragnarok for me uniformly don't work. This is what happens when you have a movie title before you have a movie script. And if this film had been just Thor and the Hulk on the gladiator planet, had to, having to save the day from the Grandmaster, this would have been probably my favorite Marvel movie. Not because it was so brilliant, but because it was so damn fun. And it does, it is fun. And, and like I said, I do like the movie overall just because it is fun. But when it comes to, with an emphasis on the Ragnarok, the movie utterly fails. And it's a real damn shame because if there's a comic property that lends itself to spectacle, it's Asgard. It's the gods. Even the Warriors 3, who aren't not really Norse gods, but, you know, close enough in the, in the mythology of the comics. It's a real shame that... Marvel felt the need to disrespect the property so much. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. 
And it's a, it's a problem with Justice League as well, though to a lesser degree. Incidentally, Justice League, just giving you my elevator review for Justice League real quick, I don't think that it deserved a lot of the bad press that Justice League got. I think that Justice League was also a fun popcorn movie. It's not as good as Thor Ragnarok. It is not as funny. It has some great moments, though. It has some good acting in it, other than Batfleck, who I think you know they should fire. There's, there's a lot going on in the film that, that I found really appealing. And the job that that film had to do was to make you care about the characters and make you want to see them again, and I think it succeeded. So that's, that's pretty much my review of Justice League, but we're going to talk a bit about, about it in, in the context of Thor Ragnarok. The problem that Thor Ragnarok has in Justice League, like I said, to a lesser extent, is a problem that you get when the studio or the director, the suits, the powers that be, whatever, decide that they're better than the property that they're adapting. Nobody expects a Thor movie to be faithful to the Norse myths. I don't think you could actually do it. You could do it. It wouldn't be a great movie, though. It wouldn't be popular. You know, the, the, the myths have their own appeal, but I don't know if they, they appeal so much to a 21st century audience as they did to a 10th century audience. But they should have at least adhered to the Marvel version of Norse mythology. Where Thor Ragnarok goes off the rail in terms of Asgard is they make unnecessary changes to the Norse mythology, to the characters. They've completely botched the Odin subplot. We'll get to that. And it's because you, know, you get the idea that they included all this Ragnarok stuff with Surt and Hela and Odin dying and, and all of this. They included that because the name of the movie is Thor Ragnarok, because they had the title of the movie before they had the frickin' script. And when you do that, you feel that you need, you feel obligated during the, the process of creating this movie that you need to include that stuff. Here's a movie that you don't need to include it. They could have renamed it. If this, this, if this movie had been called Thor the Gladiator Planet or something similar, it would probably be my favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe film yet. And I love Doctor Strange. And I like Ant-Man. You know, I like Ant-Man and Doctor Strange better than, than most of the Thor movies. And like I said, if they hadn't included all the, 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 the Asgard stuff, and even worse, misusing the Asgard stuff, then I would have liked the movie much, much more. But because they mess it up, it kind of, it took me right out. It took me right out of the film. I, you know, I was engrossed in it. I was enjoying it. And all of a sudden, bam! You know, they, they reveal that Hela is Odin's daughter. They give her a, a very improbable motivation and I'm like, no, no, how could you do that? How could you do that? And again, I, I think it's a tendency that these studios have to think that they are better than the material that they're adapting. You don't need to have that change in the mythology of the story to make that story work. You know, that's just one little point. It's a, it's a particularly troublesome point to me. But maybe that's because I'm such a, a fan of the mythology and such a fan of the comics. You know, and there, there are other things too. But 
when you have a director who obviously feels contempt for the material that he's covering, maybe it's better that you change your working title and call the movie something else before release. Let's cut all that stuff out. They didn't need it. It wasn't important to the story. You know, it certainly didn't keep the story moving. Every time they went back to Asgard, the story started to drag. And you, I definitely got the sense that, uh, that Waititi just didn't give a shit about the Asgard sequences at all. He included them because he had to and because that was the solution that the script called for. And I think that this movie could have been so much better if they had just cut all of it out. It really, Thor Ragnarok should be a very different movie. It should be an Asgard-focused movie. It should not have the Planet Hulk, and it should not have any other characters in it. It should be, you know, a big fight. And I, I don't have any problem with the big fight being against Hela. I don't have a problem with, you know, the executioner being a part of the cast. I, you know, the, the, it didn't work well in this movie for another problem we'll, we'll talk about a little bit, too. I got the feeling that, you know, YTT didn't want to play with these toys. And this is kind of where I have a warning. It's kind of a warning sign to me. And, and for any director who's, who's covering a comics property or any property that's, that's hugely popular with fans... And that is, don't break the toys if you don't want to play with them. They wasted so much potential for future stories by gratuitously killing off the Warriors 3, which I found, again, it took me right out of the movie because it's like, why? You didn't need to do that. It wasn't necessary. Don't want to use them. Don't fucking use them. Killing off Odin. Now, this is one of my, my big points for, for the mismanagement of the Asgardian sequences is that we were set up in Thor the Dark World for something that could have been really cool. And YTT completely botched it. You know, I believe that there were sequences cut out because the, I, I heard a story that um, Anthony Hopkins originally had said no to being in Thor 3 because he felt that he'd done it before, you know, it's kind of done playing this character. And then he read the script, and that changed his mind. Now, keep in mind that the script was about 80% improvised, and it makes you wonder what it was that he came back for that we didn't see, because his role in the movie is, is minimal. It's, it's really, it's basically an extended cameo. And they kill him off for no reason. We don't get any good details. We have no good reasons why. We don't have any motivations why. We don't know how Loki did it. Because there is no, no gap between Thor the Dark World and Loki taking over Odin's throne. We, there, it's just not there. And, and I know this because I watched Thor the Dark World last week. <laughs> um, while I was driving the furniture back up to Illinois... Uh, Thor of the Dark World was playing on the FX channel, so I actually sat and watched The Dark World again. I might have been a little bit hard on that movie. I don't think it's as bad as, as maybe I, uh, I said before. I actually did kind of enjoy it. There are some issues with, with The Dark World, and, and in particular with Malekith and, and his part. But there, it is, for the most part, kind of a fun movie, too. It's not nearly as much fun as Thor Ragnarok, but... I, I think it, it deserves maybe a little bit more respect than some people give it. On the grand scheme of Marvel films, it's still 
kind of close to the bottom. But I think that there's still some good things to say about, about Thor the Dark World. But anyway, let's, let's get back to the subject at hand. Now, the problem wasn't as big in Justice League. The problem that we had in Justice League is that we had a throwaway villain. Steppenwolf is not a character who was ever very well-defined. Kirby did not define him very well, and maybe even deliberately so. He was just kind of a placeholder. And I'm sure that Kirby at some point would have come back and developed the character further. But Steppenwolf in the comics was not... He, he was a very much a cipher, and he continued to be a cipher in the Justice League film. What I'm really afraid of is that in the creation of Justice League, they have ruined any real opportunity to do a fourth world-based film. The Mother Boxes were a big part of Kirby's fourth world series, and, and so to change them so enormously to be sort of the MacGuffin of the plot and then destroying them it basically means that any kind of fourth world movie, whether it's the New Gods or you know a Superman movie with the New Gods in it or whatever, they're going to have to find a way now to explain the Mother Box concept, you know, and use it maybe a different word for it, or maybe say, okay, well those weren't really the Mother Boxes. That's somebody was mistaken, you know. Um, the problem is they kind of broke those toys and it's going to be hard to uh, to go back now and do a proper fourth world-based film without that. You might be able to do it in 10 years, you know, after everyone's kind of forgotten this Justice League film. But it's it's hard to know, you know. It's it's one of those things that where I think that uh, they took this great idea from the comics and then they just kind of ruined it. There's some of that going on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe outside of, of Thor 2. Now, not everything in, in the Justice League was that bad. For example, I thought they did the boom tubes exactly right. They looked exactly like Kirby drew them. They went boom like they were supposed to. It's like, wow, it's an actual boom tube in a movie. I never thought I'd see that. And that was one of the really cool things about Justice League. You know that the movie maybe is a little bit weak when I get excited over something like that. But anyway, remember... Some of my um, my concerns about this movie before the movie was released was that they're going to try to fit too much in. Both Justice League and Thor Ragnarok have that problem. And I kind of get it. because, But at the same time, I blame the way Hollywood operates for that. Because you have the, the uh, suits to say, we want this movie to make a lot of money. So what we're going to do, what's the biggest, best story in these characters' history... And you come up with these stories that took years to tell, these stories that were told by creators at the top of their game, and they're cramming elements from two or three of these stories into one film. Ragnarok has that issue because we got half the film that's Planet Hulk and half the film that's a bad version of Marvel Norse mythology. Then they have to throw in, because it's not enough that you have Surt and Hela and, and lots of you know, things going on with the, you know, the end of, of Asgard at hand and Odin dying and all that. But no, you have to throw in the Executioner and his machine guns. The most powerful scene, perhaps, of Walt Simonson's run on Thor is turned into an almost inconsequential plot point. 
it's such a minor thing. It's just thrown away. It's wasted. They could have done so much more with that. I, I don't have any problem with Scourge being in the movie, despite the fact that Scourge has never been really an important character in the Thor mythos. He really wasn't in any of the, uh, the Silver Age Thor comics. I believe they, they introduced him in the Enchantress, and then they immediately uh, went away, and they would show up in places like the Avengers and Marvel Team-Up. They were not major characters for Thor. They, they were more major when Thor would team up with Spider-Man or something like that. You know, anyway, getting, getting beyond that. Let's, let's, I'm going to try to get off of this. But this tendency to kind of throw everything into a movie and, and hope that you know, it'll turn out enjoyable is something that I think that, that the movie companies really need to watch out for. It, it's one of those things that it ruins a movie for me now when I see it because it's like, oh, come on. You know, you don't need to add all this to it. This would be, you know, less is more. Nowhere is that more true in a movie that's already full of, of things going on. You don't have to throw every good thing in the Thor comics into one movie. <laughs> you know, it, you know, it's just not necessary. And unfortunately, both Warner Brothers and Marvel Studios seem to believe that, yeah, okay, it kind of is necessary because people don't have an attention span. And, you know, maybe they have a point. Maybe that's true. Maybe they don't. Maybe, you know, but when you use something you know, as great as the executioner's sacrifice as a throwaway scene that accomplishes nothing in terms of the story, then maybe you've kind of wasted this, you've broken this toy that would have been much more effective in another film. Bring Carl Urban back. You know, he can fight against Hela again. You know, she's not going anywhere. I mean, there certainly didn't come. Come on, does anybody believe that Hela's actually dead? No, of course not. I don't really necessarily believe that Odin's dead either. But well, I guess that'll be, um, you know, what it comes down to. I think that one of the issues that we may be dealing with here is the studio itself. I don't know what happened beyond the scenes. I don't know what Marvel Studios told Taika Waititi, but I think they might have told him, hey, this is the last one. Do whatever the hell you want. So I think that there's a very real case to be made that Marvel was not intending, at least not before the success of, of Thor Ragnarok, to give us any more Thor. Not that familiar with the details of Chris Hemsworth's arrangement with Marvel, but it's my understanding that he's not under contract after the next Avengers movie, so maybe they've just decided that maybe that's it. I could certainly be wrong. This movie made a lot of money, so it could be well worth bringing him back. I guess while we're talking about actors, let's look really broadly at the cast of this movie, what worked about what they did with the characters, what didn't work about what they did with the characters, kind of get on a little bit more of a positive vibe here, because I feel like I'm being really critical of a movie that I actually did kind of like. So let's talk really quickly about the character arcs and what happened with each character in, in the context of the film. First of all, it was a great film for Chris Hemsworth to show off a comedic side. And he has a comedic side, and they've tried to kind of include that in all of the films. It worked especially well in the first Thor film. And because of the, the subject matter of the second one, he was much more serious 
and and kind of straight laced in the second film, uh, The Dark World, than he was in the first one, and especially this one. One of the advantages of of playing up the uh, the fun in this character is that we have an actor who's capable of showing it. He's he's capable of playing this as a fun character, even as a goofy character, and not lose the the, uh, the inherent dignity of Thor. I think that that's a strength of Chris Hemsworth. It's one of the reasons why I would really hate to see Chris leave the series, uh, you know, to have them recast Thor or whatever, because I actually, I like the actor. I find him very appealing. Uh, personality uh, is very appealing. Not bad to look at either, but that's kind of beside the point when I'm talking about these movies. So overall, pretty happy with Chris Hemsworth's work on this film. And how good is Tessa Thompson? She was great. I really liked this character. Now, it's very obvious from watching the film that this was not the Valkyrie. This wasn't Brunhild, the member of the Defenders, you know, that's been shown in many Marvel comics. This is a Valkyrie. And that's great. That was fine. I didn't have any problem with that. Now, why she would leave Asgard? Hey, that's a story that you could tell in another movie. That's it's all the more reason why you don't want to destroy Asgard and and ruin, you know, break all these toys that are so much fun. Um, but I, I had absolutely no issue with the character. Really liked her portrayal. She was just self-serving enough to to make me like her as kind of this roguish character. And, uh, you know, the Valkyrie flashback stuff is pretty awesome, too. Really, really did enjoy that. Uh, Carl Urban as Scourge. Uh, he's kind of flat. Scourge is a tough character, I'll tell you. He's a flat character. He never was a very deep character. I think Simon said it was the only one who really did anything really substantial with him. Uh, and because that's because he was kind of a, a second-rate Thor villain that, like I said, was not really important to the Thor mythos in and of himself. He was just kind of a character who was there. Uh, Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk and Bruce Banner. I really like Mark Ruffalo. I like his work. He's not as good at the ad-libbing as some of the other characters. He seems almost uncomfortable with it. I, I think that he would probably have preferred that they stick to a, to a fuller script. I didn't have any problem with the Hulk's portrayal in this movie. The Hulk actually talking was something that I kind of like. You know, it, it makes sense. The Hulk talked in the comics. It didn't make necessarily any sense that he was not very verbose in the Avengers films. So here we actually get a good amount of Hulk dialogue. We actually have a personality which I think is very consistent with the uh, the original comics. And the Planet Hulk uh, was a lot of fun in the fact that it was, the design of it was very beholden to Jack Kirby. A lot of the vehicles, a lot of the machines, a lot of the, the things on the planet surface were very obviously inspired or even probably directly copied from Jack Kirby drawings. The colors, the, the, uh, the styles, they, they obviously looked at Jack Kirby's art when they did the film, and that was very, very much appreciated on my part. Jeff Goldblum as the, uh, the Grandmaster, not at all like the character really should have been. <laughs> um, I like Jeff Goldblum as an actor. I liked him in this role. I think he played it up, he camped it up a little too much. 
uh, you know, the Grandmaster is a more serious character. He's one of the elders of the universe. He has his own little quirk, and that is he likes to, to do games and, you know, have people competing against each other. That's kind of his shtick, kind of like the collector collects things, and, and that's fine. But I do like Jeff Goldblum. Some of the uh, laugh-out-loud moments in the film actually came from him. Uh, that being said... Not the strongest addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think that that character would get old really quickly. But I do like what they did with him, at least in this regard. And I don't have any major complaints about uh, how they portrayed him. Idris Elba as Heimdall, he was fine. He had a much larger role than he's had in past films. I, I liked that they utilized him. I, unfortunately, I think that they utilized him mainly because Idris Elba has become a much larger name in Hollywood. And so, you know, they're getting their money's worth by having him in the movie, by having him actually do stuff. What he was doing was not very Heimdall-like. You know, they could have had anybody doing it. That would have been a great thing for Balder to have done, is leading people to safety. That's like right up his alley. But uh, I like the fact that Heimdall is there, and I do like the character, and I do like the actor. Fandral, Volstagg, and Hogan, obviously, I've talked about them already. They were completely wasted. They broke the toys, since nobody else can play with them now. I guess that's okay, because they've all kind of gone on to their, their future projects. Uh, Zachary Levi, who's played Fandral... He's going to be playing the Big Red Cheese in the uh, Captain Marvel Shazam movie. Uh, so there you go. Uh, and I'm sure that the other people have been doing other stuff too. Um, you know, uh, the movie versions of the Warriors 3 didn't get a lot of play in, in Thor The Dark World. Um, they did have some good scenes in there but at the very, very beginning. But basically, they were cameos in that. And, and here, they were even less than cameos. I still think it's a shame what they do with the characters. Uh, you know, they're not my favorite characters in the Marvel Universe, and they do get old after a while. But I didn't see any reason to, to off them the way they did. Anthony Hopkins as Odin. Like I said, not sure why he came back. He didn't do anything. Uh, you know, he was Loki for you know, most of the, the time we saw him on screen. Again, you have a character that was wasted. Um, and whatever it was that drew Anthony Hopkins back to the movie was obviously not this script. Uh, I'm not sure why he would have come back to, to be wasted like this. All I can assume is that there are several scenes on the cutting room floor. Hopefully, maybe with the DVD uh, Blu-ray release of this movie, we'll find out why he stayed. But right now, I'm kind of like, well, maybe he just did it for the money. I mean, Maybe that's just kind of the way things work. Tom Hiddleston is great as Loki, as always. I like him as Loki. I still like him as Loki. I've even gotten a little bit tired of him as Loki. Uh, but I, he, he does well here. Um, Loki is not a 100% you know, villain. Uh, he is one of those people who will help the gods when he's needed. Uh, he gets the gods into trouble, but he also often gets them out of trouble. The trickster character, that's a good thing. Um, I'm okay with him being on the side of the angels, but it, it also makes sense that he would betray his friends, you know, because that is kind of in Loki's nature. As long as they don't, don't spoil it, I think they're okay. Uh, Jamie Alexander as Sif is not in this movie. I'm kind of glad that she wasn't. Uh, she's off doing a different TV show now, so she wasn't available. Um, I would have hated to have seen her 
uh, killed off in the same way as the Warriors 3. Uh, I guess that actually leaves open the possibility that she will be back in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, either in an Avengers movie or if they do any more Thors, maybe she'll be back in that. Uh, the Doctor Strange cameo was a bit of a disappointment, and only because, for obvious reasons, they just basically extended the after credit scene of Doctor Strange's own movie, and that was kind of, I felt cheated by. I like Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. I was hoping that he would have actually a much larger role in this film. I, I kind of understand why they didn't, but... I really expected more than literally just the same footage that we saw at the end of Doctor Strange. I felt a little bit ripped off by that. Kate Blanchett as Hela. Um, she has a dignity and a presence that works really well for the character. I don't like the, what they did with the character of Hela, but that's a script problem, not an acting problem. I think for what she was, she did her damn best and her damn best was damn good. I, I, lo I love the scenes of Hela fighting Thor. The destruction of the hammer makes perfect sense. Now, the revelation of her as Odin's daughter, I think, was, was a horrible, horrible idea. All they had to do was say, hey, Hela helped Odin rule all this. She helped take this over. She killed a lot of people. She was Odin's right-hand man, or right-hand woman, as the case may be, and the story would still have made just as much sense. You didn't need to add that that stupid detail of her being Odin's daughter. You could have even said she was like a daughter to him, you know, and that would have been enough. So it was one of those things, like I said, that pulled me right out of the movie. But I have no complaint about Kate Blanchett's portrayal. Um, you know, she was properly evil, and I love the antlers. I like the way that they moved. I thought that that was pretty awesome. I, I was afraid that they weren't going to be able to portray the antlers well, but I, my, my fears were unfounded in that case. The, she looked fantastic. And that's, I guess, you know, probably the best we could have hoped for from her. And I, I go into this realizing that this isn't a character, but I want to talk about Asgard again for a second. The portrayal of Asgard, like I said, is one of my, one of my pet peeves about the film. But... In particular, the inhabitants of Asgard. Just the, the background characters, the people who are not seen. You have to remember, Asgard is a city of gods. It is not just ordinary people. It's not like going to New York City and then having the gods over everyone else and everybody else is a normal human. Asgardians basically are gods. You've got a lot of great gods here that you could have used. You could have used Balder, though considering the movie, I'm kind of glad he wasn't in it. You could have had, you know, Honir. You could have had Tyr. You could have had Fry. You could have had Freya. You know, there's a lot of characters, even from the comics mythology, that you could have used. Unfortunately, the way Marvel portrayed the Asgardians in this movie were more like scared children. They were just kind of running around in a panic, and it didn't really do the Asgardians any favors as far as their reputation. Um, but it was one of those things, you know, there should have been more concerted fighting against Hela by the Asgardians themselves. And I feel that, that again, they, they, they decided to portray them as scared people and not as 
gods who were simply overpowered by a superior magic, a superior force. And so that's, again, one of those things that didn't work for me. Now, all of that being said, and despite the fact that a lot of this movie didn't work for me, I'm still looking forward to a lot of the projects that Marvel has coming out. I'm really looking forward to the Black Panther. I've, I've seen the, the, uh, the trailers enough times. I was like, ooh, this is going to be pretty cool. Let's just hope that they don't try to fit every good Black Panther story into one movie, which is what I'm really afraid of. This should be a warning to Warner Brothers and to Marvel Studios, and I really hope that they listen. Unfortunately, because of the success of Thor Ragnarok, it's done really well. It's, it's made over $800 million as of today, so it's done quite well for a comic book movie. It just makes me think that they might do more of the same. And if they do more of the same, then these movies are going to start getting bad really quickly because there's not enough great storylines out there to keep these things going. You can only take so much from the comics. You're going to have to come up with something original at some point. So far, I'm not impressed by the original, quote-unquote, original content of Marvel Studios or Warner Brothers and the DC movies for that matter. You know, they don't seem to be good at coming up with new original stuff. I mean, look at Superman 3 and 4, if you, if you want to know. You know, the things that really weren't dependent on, you know, the Superman mythology were the movies that kind of sucked. And that's because you've got the studio involved saying, this is a big franchise, you know, we can do whatever the hell we want because people will come see the movies anyway. The moment you start thinking like that, the moment you start thinking that you are better than the source material than you're working for, that is when your franchise is in danger. And I hope that Warner Brothers and Marvel Studios listen to this and realize that this is a real concern. Of course, it's all about the money. So... Who cares what I think? If you care what I think, you can give us feedback. The email address is radiofreeasgard at gmail.com. You can also find us over on Facebook. Just look for Radio Free Asgard over there and you will find us. Once again, everybody, have a very happy holiday season. Happy, happy new year. Don't get too drunk. Don't get, you know, drink and drive. Don't do any of that stuff because we want you here next year. We've got a lot more fun going on here on the show. And, or, no, we're just, just, who am I kidding? It's going to be the same old shit in a different year. But, <laughs> but anyway, no, we'll, we'll be back next year. And, uh, you know, we've got the 300th episode coming up. Not that that's going to be anything special, but, you know, hey, it's, it's a landmark, so we, we have to enjoy it. And with that, I am back over the Rainbow Bridge, back to Midgard, and we'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard. Radio Free Asgard is copyright Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The characters, stories, and situations presented on this program are copyright their respective copyright holders and are presented for entertainment, review, and educational purposes only. No ownership is implied. We make no money from this podcast, and the contents are believed to be covered under fair use. If you like what you've heard on today's program, we'd appreciate it if you leave us an iTunes review, send us an email with your feedback, tell your friends, if you have any, or annoy your coworkers with our incoherent ramblings and silly voices. Thanks once again for listening to Radio Free Asgard. <laughs>